Before we get started this week, I wanted to give you guys a little show note. I recorded an episode for the TCU Magazine podcast featuring a local chef who has made it big online and with her cookbooks. I wanted to run the episode here on Fort Worth Food Stories because I think it's a really good fit, and I think her story is just really fun and interesting, so I want to make sure that this audience also got to hear what that audience was hearing. Uh, You'll notice that there's different intro music, and, and obviously I will say that it's the TCU Magazine podcast to start the show, but it still follows the basic format of me interviewing a local chef, so I hope you guys really like it. Um, I also wanted to take a minute to tell you about the Fort Worth Food and Wine Festival. This weekend, Cowtown becomes Chowtown, and it's all thanks to the Fort Worth Food and Wine Festival. With six events between April 4th and 7th, the festival features a talented roster of chefs and food artisans, as well as craft brewers and distinctive vintners. They all bring a range of taste, styles, and methods that reflect the taste of the city itself. But it's more than a good time. It's a good cause. With proceeds supporting local grant programs and culinary scholarships, tickets get you all you can eat and drink from the best chefs in Fort Worth and beyond. And this year brings two brand new ways to experience the festival. The Culinary Corral, a four-hour celebration of the best of the fest, and there's also the Ring of Fire Next Level Cookout, a live fire and live music event. Buy tickets today and learn more about the festival at fwfwf.com. That's fwfwf.com. The link is also in the description for this episode. Um, You know, and I I feel like one of the things that makes it easy for many of us is the fact that I'm not trained as a chef, right? Like I'm a mom at home cooking. I had the same restrictions that many people do. Uh, I cooked while on conference calls, right? Like, you have to. You have to do all of these things. There are days, like, like today, I can't really walk very well and I can't really cut very well, but, you know, families still need to be fed. I am an extrovert at work, but I really need to recharge, and I'm very introverted, at, you know, at the end of the day when work is done. And the last thing I thought I would ever do is go on a trip with a bunch of strangers. This is the TCU Magazine Podcast. Here's your host, James Creange. All right, welcome to the TCU Magazine Podcast. I'm your host, James Creange. Today I'm joined by Irvashi Pitray, better known as the Butter Chicken Lady. Irvashi graduated with the TCU class of 1994, and I want to thank you so much for coming on today. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. So I need to know right off the bat, and I'm sure you get asked this all the time, so I apologize, but how does someone with a master's degree and a PhD end up with the nickname the Butter Chicken Lady? It's very frustrating. I feel like I went to school for all these years. I worked really hard at my career. I had a very successful career as a data scientist and a marketing strategist. And at the end of all of that, you know, it's like there are not that many statisticians in the world who know me. But people know me as a butter chicken lady. So it's, you know, the universe just wants to play tricks on us half the time. And I think that's exactly what happened here. You know? <laughs> uh, so this all came about because you wanted to kind of simplify traditional Indian dishes, right? You know, actually, that's not how it came about, interestingly enough. So I've always cooked uh, traditional Indian dishes simply just because I'm an efficiency freak. Like, I'm all about... Uh, getting rid of unnecessary steps. It actually came about because I was really stressed at my real job. And I woke up one day and said, you know, you're going to die an early death unless you find something else to do with yourself. You can't worry about work all the time. So I started to cook to relax, which, you know, a lot of people find cooking extremely relaxing, and I happen to be one of them. And um, 
the problem is, however, that I also happen to be one of those people that can't do anything casually. Like, everything becomes a thing for me, right? Like, it may start as a hobby, and then pretty soon, you know, I have to be really good at it, and then I have to be really efficient, and then I have to bring science into it. <laughs> and so it kind of escalated from there. But honestly, I've been cooking since I was 14, and my emphasis always has been on question why. Why are they asking you to do these steps, and are they truly necessary? Or is it just tradition being carried forward, and nobody can really explain why you have to do it? Um, yeah, I think that's I think that's awesome, uh, because... People think about, you know, maybe bigger things in life than, than cooking a, a recipe or whatever in terms of why is this happening? You know, let's yeah. let's delve into that. So I, I think that's great that you've done that with food. It's it's a really, um, you know, neat uh, story there. Um, when you posted that butter chicken video, um, that wasn't the first time you had posted a video, right? Why do you think that's the one that took off? You know, it, I feel like this is one of those overnight successes that takes 30 years, right? Yeah. So... I've been posting recipes for a while, so I had discovered a while ago that people don't actually know how to cook low-carb food, and for those of us who are going there, you know, the, the emphasis was on all of the things that you couldn't eat and all the things that you couldn't do, and I kept thinking, there's so many things that are possible to do. So I started putting recipes down just for grins and giggles, and then, like I said, you know, when I got um, super stressed out at work and wanted to distract myself, I made several other recipes and posted those, and I think... I don't know exactly why, but I, I suspect that a part of it is people's familiarity with it. You know, now it seems like over the last few years, Indian cooking has become more mainstream. But historically, you know, the perception has always been that it's really difficult to do. You can't do it at home. You'll never, you know, it'll never be authentic unless, you know, uh, you spend three hours making a meal. But um, when I posted this one, you know, like I posted an eggplant parta. And like there's a few people who've heard of it, uh, but it's not as mainstream as butter chicken. And I honestly feel like two things happened. One is a confluence of events. Like they'd seen me consistently post and there was probably critical mass by this point. Uh, and then the other thing is here's a dish that every, you know, many people knew about, even those who are not as familiar with Indian cooking. Everybody's heard of chicken tikka masala and butter chicken, right? Mm -hmm. So I feel like it was a combination of those two events that probably did it. But I think some of it is, like I said, the universe just likes to play jokes on us, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and that was this one. Um, how did you uh, go about simplifying these dishes? I mean, it's one thing to say you want to get to the root of it and, and simplify it, but Indian cooking is quite a process, right? So how did you take it from maybe an all-day thing down to a quick recipe? So, you know, I feel like a lot of it is understanding the science of cooking, right? So if you understand how a pressure cooker works and the fact that it can create a Maillard reaction without uh, you having to brown and stir for hours, if you understand that it infuses flavors in a very different way, then it, you start to think about the steps that you can get rid of. Um, but there's a lot of experimentation. So, you know, my degree from TCU is in experimental psychology. And so I am trained to look at things from a, you know, a, a more scientific process than maybe, you know, a lot of other bloggers might be like that may or may not be what they spend their time on. So you, you mentioned before that you were getting pretty stressed out with your full-time job. Did you yeah. come to a point where you were getting stressed out with these recipes? Um, you know, what's interesting is that there have, there, you know, ever since I started to write cookbooks, there are definitely times where I owe my editor, you know, certain recipes, right? And mm -hmm. I've got to get it done. Like I've done, I don't know, four or five cookbooks in the last year. That doesn't happen without a process and 
you know, a great deal of sort of effort put into it and scheduling and all of that. So, you know, it's like you can, I can take anything that was supposed to be fun and make work out of it if I'm not careful, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and this, this recipe, you know, it took me three times. Like, it, it, it did not just happen. Um, I tried it three different times. The one time there was too much um, water in it. The second time I had emulsified the butter and it was a greasy mess. Like, I really had to step back and say, why is this happening and how do I change it? Um, and, you know, the third time, I always say this, like the third time I made it, my husband, who poor guy, he's got to taste everything I make. And then, you know, and it's not just that you have to taste something that may not be delicious. Then you have to tell your wife she screwed up making it. Right? <laughs> it's not a job for a weak man, let me tell you. <laughs> so he, um, his eyes rolled back into the back of his head and I was like, all right, this one's it, we're done. Uh, but yes, it, it took a while. Is that typical for you? I, I feel like three chances or three tries on yeah. a recipe is, is not that many. Many, um, you know, I would have thought maybe ten to fifteen tries. Do you typically you get know, them that quickly? I do. So, well, here's what's interesting: is that I've gone from being able to, uh, I had to go into the kitchen to write a recipe, but now I can do it on a piece of paper, and nine times out of ten, it'll work out. And the tenth time, it takes me three times. I don't huh. know what the magic number is, <laughs> uh, but the tenth time, it just doesn't work, which is why I test every every single thing that I put out there. That's interesting. Um, and you use an Instant Pot, right? Can you tell me what an Instant Pot is and, and why it's such a useful kitchen tool? Yeah, so I use an Instant Pot. I use an air fryer, um, you know, and I use every gadget you could lay your hands on. But the Instant Pot is essentially started out, you know, the main function that people use it for is a pressure cooker. So, you know, the, the pressure uh, that is uh, created inside it allows the water to get, quote, superheated, which means that, you know, ordinarily water will boil at 212, Fahrenheit, and uh, when it's under pressure, boils well, it's not going to boil until it's about, you know, 240, 250, 260, which means you can get flavor infused without your food being utterly, you know, boiled and bland and tasteless in a way that, to some extent, slow cookers would do. So it's not exactly, you know, the taste isn't the same, but it has other functions. You can make yogurt in it, you can um, slow cook in it. Uh, the newer ones you can use as sous vide machines, which I've been playing with quite a bit. Uh, so it, it's a multifunction machine, and it allows us to get rid of multiple devices in the house. And when you compare it to a traditional slow cooker, uh, sorry, a traditional pressure cooker, a stovetop pressure cooker, it's a lot safer, and frankly, it's a lot more idiot-proof. Like you don't have to, you don't have to guess as much, uh, and it requires less babysitting. You set it up, you punch in the time, you walk away, you come back, there's a meal. I mean, that's a hard, hard thing to argue against. Yeah, you're you're almost convincing me to uh, <laughs> go out and you get one. You don't have one? No, you I don't. Dude, <laughs> you are missing out. You told it will change your cooking life. I'm telling you. Well, I, so I'm really interested. I I work for um, a culinary school for my full time job, and yeah. um, I'm really interested in the sous vide cooking, and I love when they yes. do that process. Uh, yeah. But this this sounds like sous vide, but even cooler and easier. So. <laughs> So, you know, what's interesting is for many of us, like for me, sous vide doesn't feel a lot like cooking because the process is constantly the same. Like it's it's beautiful. It's perfect. Um, but, you know, you're always kind of heating the, the food in this bath and then you're flavoring afterwards. So the technique is the same time after time, which in a restaurant is a very desirable situation. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, but for a home cook, I for me personally, I find it 
I, I, there's less opportunity so far for me to be creative with it. The creative all comes in the flavors, not in the technique. Um, and with the pressure cooker, I still have to learn new techniques even now after all these years. I mean, I've been cooking with one since I was 14, and I'm still learning new, new ways to do things in there. So explain that. So what would be, you know, maybe a technique yeah. or two? I, I know you had mentioned before uh, some of the different ways you could use it, but what, what are your, like, three go-to techniques with the Instant Pot? So I think one thing is that people misunderstand uh, how, because they misunderstand how it works, they spend, what they end up doing is they cook exactly as they would on the stovetop. And the only difference is that they um, finish cooking a long cooking thing like meat, you know, like chicken or a roast or whatever. They finish cooking it under pressure. And what I have said repeatedly is you do not actually need to brown your food. In fact, you're doing yourself a disservice because when you brown food in there, you're taking out all the naturally occurring stock and moisture, and you're replacing that afterwards with plain water. And you've essentially just done, A, a lot of work, and B, you know, uh, maybe diluted the taste somewhat. So I very, like even ground beef, I know it sounds ridiculous to people, but I very rarely brown ground beef in there. Um, and nobody has been able to tell the flavor difference, by the way. So like, oh. I'll just dump everything in there. Um, and, you know, I have rheumatoid arthritis, and so I have a degenerative disease that flares, uh, you know, whenever it wants to. There are days, I, like today, I can't really walk very well, and I can't really cut very well. But, you know, families still need to be fed, Right. Uh, you know, I have a lot of people in my group that have MS, that have um, fibromyalgia, that have other, you know, cancer recovery, et cetera. And we still need to feed families. So the ability to have something that where cooking has been simplified and, the you know, not browning is, is one of the classic ones. Yeah, I, th- there I are think a few that's... other functions. Yeah, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I, th- I think that's really interesting that, um, you know, you do, you suffer from rheumatoid arthritis, um, but you found this way that you can still cook and you can still show other people how to cook um, that yeah. might be suffering from the same thing. And, and that's awesome. And, and that's where I'm sure part of the idea of even making this first instant pot cookbook uh, came from. But you were the first one to ever make it um, for Indian cooking. Um, are you able to sit back and kind of appreciate how big of an accomplishment that is for you to have been, you know, kind of blown up from this one video and then make that first cookbook? You know, it's, uh, it's surreal. And I, um, constantly feel like this is the classic 15 minutes of fame thing that has lasted <laughs> a little over a year and a half now. Uh, and you know, like my, and my editor told me the other day that I was the only author with four cookbooks in the top 50 right now. Um, in the in the country, that's and awesome. I don't like it. Doesn't it's very surreal. Like that's, I've worked with people. People have worked for me for twenty years, and they didn't even know I could cook. They're like, you can cook. I was like, no, of course <laughs> I can cook. How do you think I take care of my kids? You know. But um, it's been um, it's it's extremely unusual. I'll tell you the thing that I uh, pride myself on the most. So, what is most meaningful to me is that it has opened the door for people to to explore new cultures. You know, food is a very non-threatening way to try something new. If you can stay in your kitchen and virtually visit another country, it opens your mind up to the possibilities in the universe. And as a result of that, not only have people who've never eaten Indian cooking, you know, made it themselves at home, but we've actually started running culinary tours and taking people into the smaller, you know, villages and uh, little offshoots of India. I'm about to run a trip to Thailand now. I've created a space, I hope, where people can come in and ask questions about different cultures, that, you know, it's a safe place to ask those questions, Um, that they're now making Korean food, they're making Nigerian food, they're making um, Thai food, they're making all of these cuisines at home. And it's not just them, by the way, they're little kids, you know, little babies, six months old, are eating food from different countries. 
that to me is a bigger accomplishment than any butter chicken by itself could have accomplished. I, I think that's beautiful. That's a, that's a great, um, great point and, and a great way to put it. Um, have you thought about writing a book about that, about people's experiences and what they've experienced and kind of straying away from the cookbook? I haven't. And I don't know why I haven't. I feel like, you know, uh, look, one of the things that, you know, I'm a serial entrepreneur, right? So like one of the things I learned early on in life is there are a million ways to make money. That's not the hard part. The hard part is focus and consistency, Mm -hmm. finding one thing and getting really, really, really good at it, you know? And um, I, I look at this and I think, what is my purpose? You know, in addition to the Indian cooking, I actually do a lot of low carb keto cooking. And uh, there are women in my group uh, that have lost, you know, 50, 60, 70 pounds from just making only my recipes. Women like me who have struggled for years to lose weight. So I think about that and I think, you know, what, what is it that I, how would someone's life be different if I wasn't in it, right? Uh, and it sounds egotistical, but th- that is a, a very easy way to distill your purpose down to say, how would someone's life have been different? Now, in some cases, they may think, my God, I wish I'd never met her. My life would be better, <laughs> right? But hopefully the answer is, you know, I've, I've lost weight. I'm healthier. I cook more at home. My children are exposed to different things. And I feel like if I have to be a service, you know, that's the way that I can be a service. And the, and the second way is having the blog allows me um, to invest in charitable things that I really care about. Like, we, I care about education. We sponsor, you know, uh, kids to go to college um, because of the income from the blog. So, like, I've narrowed my purpose down to what, how do I feel like I could best contribute to people's lives, right? And sending a kid to college is a, is a pretty significant way to contribute, I would think. Yeah, I mean, that is that is just really awesome. Um, are you still working your full-time job as well? So, <laughs> yes-ish. So it's, it's a little less full-time because I have become more selective. We only work with people that I actually like um, and that I feel will, you know, will take our suggestions. And so um, I'm picky about who I work with. But, yes, we, I still have the agency running just as, uh, you know, before. And uh, my focus continues to be using data to drive uh, analytics and marketing for people. That's, that's crazy. How do you find time to write these cookbooks? I mean, you've, you've put out a lot. What did you say? You've put out four or five, right, um, so in only a matter four, of a couple of years? Yeah, there are four out. One is coming, and the next one will be out in March, which I hope you'll try. It's a keto desserts book. Okay. Uh, and then I just finished yesterday turning in the last recipe for the next air fryer book, and I am about to pitch two more. So here's the thing. It's all about calendaring. You know, I have the blog, which takes up a lot of time. I have the groups where I talk to people that takes up a lot of time. And then I've got, um, you know, the cookbooks and the, and the regular thing. So I, um, I calendar everything, and I stick to my calendar. So if I have to make X recipes by so many dates, that means I have to cook three a day sometimes. And you just do it. Like I, the, the good news for me is I don't need a lot of sleep so i'm a four to six hour kind of a person um you know so that helps a lot i've always wondered this about people that write cookbooks or or cooking blogs um do you ever run into writer's block or is there just an endless supply of recipes to choose from so you get into this mindset where uh well one the fun part is you start tasting different things you actively go out and seek different foods and if i taste something you know i can approximate it you know, more more often than not, right? I can say, oh, I, I can taste ginger on this. I can taste whatever. And then, uh-huh. uh, and then the challenge becomes going out and doing it. But here's the thing is if you limit yourself to a country or a geography, you might run into that. But if the world is your playground, right, and your job, you see, is to experience different things and help people, you know, experience Nigerian cooking in their house, 
as an example, right, or Korean cooking in their house. Then when do you ever run out of ideas? So what I find myself doing is I have uh, on my phone, you know, a notes app, and every time I think of something, I write it down. Like I'll write down air fryer Nigerian suya, and then I'll make it. You know, or I'll write down, um, you know, how about making a cordon bleu without the breading on it. And so I'll make these notes to myself almost constantly. And then when I'm ready, I sit down and I look at that. And there are a hundred different ideas sitting there waiting for me. <laughs> it's, you're, you're making me hungry. We're, we're recording this in the morning. But... You should come over and let me cook for you. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, was, I was just about to invite myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you, you kind of mentioned this before, but you did head in the, to the healthier direction with um, your follow-up books to that first one, um, where you looked at the paleo diet and the keto diet and, and low-carb meals and stuff like that. Um, do you have a diet that you think specifically um, maybe is is the best one to follow? And um, how can people maybe not like I'm I'm in the process of trying to lose some weight just to you know share personally yeah. here I'm you know I'm trying to lose some weight and but I don't want to go on a full diet you know what's mm-hmm, what's mm-hmm. the best way that I can do to lose some weight but not completely go paleo. So I feel like, you know, uh, human bodies are so idiosyncratic and there's so much variation. It took me 10 years of effort to find the one that worked for me. Uh, I had tried everything under the sun except a low-carb diet. And uh, it, eventually that was the only thing that worked for me. So I approached that like I did much of everything else. So there are people who do great on vegetarian. There are people who, you know, need to eliminate dairy. Um, there isn't an easy answer. I feel like the best diet is one where you feel good. Forget about weight loss for half a second. Where you feel good, uh, you know, you don't feel bloated, inflamed, rumbly, hungry all the time. Uh, and it's one that you can sustain, that you actually enjoy cooking that way. You're not feeling deprived constantly. And I feel like a lot of a lot of that is about a scarcity mindset. Like we have to get away from focusing on all of the things that we can't have in life and think about the things that you do have, right? Like we're very happy to tell each other this, you know, when it comes to Thanksgiving, right? Like, oh, we should be grateful for what we have. So how about being grateful for everything that a paleo diet or a keto diet or a vegan diet allows you to eat and start focusing on the stuff that you can't eat? Right? It's a shift in mindset that I think takes you away from deprivation and a temporary, you know, I have to do this, woe is me, to guess what I get to eat today? You know, avocados with bacon, bring it on, <laughs> right? Very different attitude. Yeah, I, that's a great point. I Because um, that is where I always struggle is like, you know, I I don't want to cut things out of my life, but I don't think about the things that I am getting to eat. So yes, that's, exactly. that's a great way to put it. Yeah, it's a great point. Yeah, and on the keto diet, like you can have butter, cream cheese, a lobster, avocado, um, you know, chicken wings. I mean, the, the list of things you can have is endless. And I try to focus on that and say, you know, here's your chance to make these meals that are just tasty. And I think that's the other thing. You just have to have food that tastes good. The fact that it's this diet or that needs to be secondary. That can't be the primary focus. Um, I want to go back to those trips that you had talked about and uh, just yeah. just ask you, you know, what are those like? How have you structured them? Who is coming on those? And, and uh, what, what do you do throughout those trips? We eat. We basically <laughs> awesome. eat. Seriously. So what happened is um, I went to India and we posted a video of something and people were like, man, I wish I could go. Like, I would love to go to India, but I'm just very reluctant to go on my own. And I was like, oh, I could probably arrange this. And then, you know, it, it blew up into something bigger. So here's the thing is I am an extrovert at work, but I really need to recharge. And I'm very introverted, at, you know, at the end of the day when work is done. 
And the last thing I thought I would ever do is go on a trip with a bunch of strangers. And so when my husband, Roger, and I were going, I was like girding my mental loins going, dude, this is work. Like, just get <laughs> into the mode. Just do your job. You know, make sure they have a good time. That's your job. And I ended up having the best time ever. Like, if you had told me I would be the kind that went on a group tour, I would have laughed in your face endlessly. <laughs> but, the, but the difference is that there are people from my group. There are people that, on my Facebook group that I actively know. And these are people that are culturally curious, that are open-minded, right? Like, that's why they're in my group to start with. And that makes for a very different group dynamic. So what we try to do is we try to find places where the dollar is strong so that we can do these trips for not very much money. And I try to make it so that once they get into the country, they don't have to take their wallets out for anything. Like, you don't have to worry about tipping and this and that. It's all included. Uh, you know, you buy your ticket, you get there, and then you're just taken care of. And then we try to go to places that are, you know, we do the tourist things, you know, a little bit. But we also try to go to people's houses. Like, we, we have cooking classes in people's houses. We, um, we go to markets that the locals might go to. Uh, we go to little villages on the way where what are, what we spend on shopping makes a significant difference to somebody being able to eat well or you know put money aside that month versus not. So I try to make sure that we're leaving a positive economic impact, you know, to the places we go to, um, which that 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 means a lot to me. Like that's you know it's a significant thing for me to be able to bring to the the economy. Yeah, I mean, it totally sounds like a win all around. Um, yeah. How much research do you have to do before you go on a trip to find out what markets people go to, what houses you might be able to eat at, stuff like that? So I, uh, one of the secrets to my success is that I surround myself with people who are much smarter than me, right? Like, <laughs> this is how I've been successful all along. So I actually have a friend that I grew up with. I hadn't spoken to her in years, uh, but she's a travel agent in India. And so she, she's she been doing this for 30 years. So I partnered with her. I partnered in Thailand with, you know, someone that she knew. Um, and so what we'll do is we'll curate this one trip. Uh, and I'll say what we need. Like, we need to be in people's houses. We need to see markets. We need to go spice shopping. We need to go shopping for cooking utensils, right, the things that we care about. And then she'll put something together, and then she and I'll actually go on the trip and make sure that it's everything that it needs to be. And the trip gets tweaked constantly. The first uh, goers will give me feedback and say, hey, you know, we need one more night at this beautiful resort. And I'll go, yeah, three times the price. Do you want to do it? And they'll go, yeah, totally worth it. So then we'll tweak it, right? So, you know, the North India trip, South India trip has been tweaked. Thailand will get tweaked when we go, I go in November. And um, we have a Turkey trip in the in the wings, you know, that I need to go. And we're, we were trying to make Cambodia work, and that didn't work. But you see, all of these places are ones where, you know, tourist dollars could make a difference to someone's life, Right. Um, and, and, you know, I just feel like, again, it's, you're exposing people to a culture, a food, an experience that they might not otherwise have. And that's where I want to spend my time and energy. So how can people find out about these trips? So, you know, you have to join, uh, the Facebook groups because to be honest with you, it's such a, it's an exotic environment. People get stressed out. You really have to be, you know, someone that is okay with that. So I like, I like to get to know the people. It's not an open trip. Uh Um, But right now it's like I have a page on the blog that I've hidden from everybody um, (laughs) that I only give out to this group and you can go, you know, ask questions. You can see what others have experienced and decide if that's for you or not. You know, are you okay, you know, not getting any American food and not staying in a Western like hotel for days on end. And if that's you, then come on along. Can, can you tell people, though, the name of uh, the group, if, if that's not private, and then also yeah, the no. name of the blog, just so they could find you? Yeah, the blog is twosleevers.com, so two, 
P-W-O-S-L-E-E-V-E-R-S.com. And if you go on um, Facebook, you'll see a Two Sleevers Keto group, a Two Sleevers International Cooking group, and then a Two Sleevers Travel group. Um, and, you know, you're welcome to join any or all of those. And just get a feel for, you know, who's there and the attitude. Like, we have a don't be a jerk rule, you know, as an yeah. example. Um, so the, there's there's a way, of, the, a way in which we expect people to comport themselves. And if that fits in with your philosophy in life, then, you know, you can't yuck someone else's yum. You can't post green, you know, vomit faces when somebody posts a food that's traditional to their culture, but maybe not to yours, as an example. If all that works for you, then you probably are kind of person. Wow. Well, it sounds like I need to start saving my money and also yes. join your group. And, and yes. <laughs> um, so going back to that book, um, I really like, or, or all of your books, I really like that you and your husband worked uh, through the process together because he helped with a lot of the photography, right? He does all of the photography. He's an amazing photographer. And I think he was resisting coming into it because, you know, I have a I have this ability to overwhelm his entire day, right? Like, I'll go, guess what we're doing today? And he's like, well, I was going to do this, but I guess I'm taking <laughs> photographs today, right? So he, he fought it for a while. And I think at the end of it, he just could not stand my horrible, horrible pictures. And he was like, oh, my God, this is just, this is insane. The recipes are fantastic. And it, they look like, you know, something a cat drug in. So he, uh, he actually started to help. So he does all the photography. He does. All of the video, the technical aspects of the video, um, you know, that when I do YouTube videos or Facebook Lives or whatever, he does all of that. And, you know, it's a, he's a good brainstorming device for me, not to mention, you know, he's he and my son, who has now moved to college, were the official taste testers. So they had to taste everything and go, yep, this works. No, you know, try over, whatever it is. That that's I love that I love that. Uh, Me too. Yeah, I, I mean, it seems that. like everything you do is is so genuine, um, especially even that keeping it in family, and yeah. uh, you know, you you try to give back, and and you just seem very accessible, which is really cool. Um, where people sometimes you watch them on YouTube, and and then you talk to them, and you know, they're not the most accessible people, uh, but it makes your videos, I think, mean that much more, and it it shows that um, through the books and everything. Um, do you oh, have a? You. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, do you have a favorite medium? You know, uh, interestingly, like I, um, I don't like um, Instagram and Twitter because I don't feel like I personally can have meaningful conversations and get to know a person. So yes, I want to know what you cook, but I want to know about you. I want to know what your kids are up to. Like I, I, I enjoy that part. And so the Facebook groups take up a lot of my time. I mean, hours and hours a day. But that's where I feel like I actually get to know people and they get to know me. Um, you know, and I, I, I feel like one of the things that makes it easy for many of us is the fact that I'm not trained as a chef, right? Like I'm a mom at home cooking. I had the same restrictions that many people do. Uh, I have cooked while on conference calls, right? Like mm-hmm. you have to, you have to do all <laughs> these things. And so, you know, you were talking about the accessible. It's like, you know, I can't dirty six dishes while making something. I always say, I'm not food network. I have to do my own dishes, you know, and that's true uh-huh. for much of us. Right. So like when I'm, you know, I love the lives, the Facebook lives. They're very stressful because Facebook will always, something will always go wrong. But I like that because I can have near time interactions with people. But then on Facebook, you know, I have the opportunity to sit back and read. I see stories about people's lives and what their kids are up to. And, you know, someone just said my um, kids are eating chili and no casseroles that, uh, you know, from the blog, someone else's husband just had a stroke and now he needs a different kind of a diet. Like, People's real lives are shared, and that, to me, is the most meaningful thing that um, I get to participate in. 
Yeah, that's that's awesome. I love that. I think I've said that about a million times in this interview, but but it is. I mean, the, the whole thing. I, I really love all of it. It's it's really really neat. Um, so what what are your future plans? I know you have a book coming out in March. Um, do you have future plans for other books, videos, uh, anything like that? So I really need to take the whole video thing seriously. Like I don't. I am just you know so scattered right now. I've got like I said this one last book, so I'll be in New York for a photo shoot pretty soon, and then this book will be put to bed. And then uh, I really want to do another Indian cookbook, but not just Instant Pot. Like, you know, there's Indian food made every different way. Um, And one of the things I really want to do is Indian food in the oven, which we don't typically have ovens. But I'm just fascinated by a Dutch oven's ability to caramelize. And I feel like there's something there that I haven't explored. But it would be nice to be able to throw everything into a Dutch oven, put it in your oven, and walk away. So I want to do an Indian cookbook with cooking with every device. And then I want to do another keto one. Uh, which is, you know, cooking with every device, right? Like slow cooker, pressure cooker, sous vide, um, oven, stovetop, whatever it is, just cooking simple recipes that are made easily and are tasty and that you don't have to go out and buy 20,000 specialty ingredients just to put a meal on the table. (laughs) So do you see this transitioning into full-time? I mean, what is full-time, right? If it's eight hours a day, I'm already doing it. Yeah, true. you know, yeah. So for full time is uh, is a very uh, subjective thing for me because I work a lot. Like I just enjoy what I do, um, and so you know I work. You know, people always say, "Oh, everything you touch is successful," and I'm like, "Yeah, I would love for it to be successful without me working 18 hours every day." Right? <laughs> like it, it doesn't happen on its own. Um, but you know, it gives me purpose, right? It gives me a focus and a purpose, and I enjoy it. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Well. Again, uh, Urvashi, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I, I really appreciate it, and, and I've really enjoyed our conversation. Can you just remind everyone again where they can find all of your stuff and um, uh, when your book's coming out and, and all of that? Yep. Yeah. So the easiest way, if you forget, well, it may not be the easiest way, but there's only one Urvashi Patri on Google. What a surprise. <laughs> um, so, you know, that, that would be an easy way to find. If you go to Siri and ask her who's the butter chicken lady, she'll give you my name, which is interesting. <laughs> uh, but the blog is Two Sleevers, T-W-O-S-L-E-E-V-E-R-S.com. And if you go onto Facebook uh, or YouTube or Pinterest and just search for Two Sleevers, you will see all of the different things that we have going on. There are, there's an Indian cookbook right now, an Instant Pot one, a keto cookbook. There's another in Indian, uh, sorry, there's an international-ish uh, Instant Pot Fast and Easy, and there's an air fryer book out. The next one is a keto desserts book, which will be, which is available for pre-orders right now. So you could you could go get it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, etc. Um, and then the next air fryer book will be out in October. Awesome. Well, I can't can't wait for it. Um, thank but, you so much for doing this. Yeah, thank fun. you. It, it was uh, I really I uh, really enjoyed this. Good. That interview with Irvishay Pitry that originally aired on the TCU Magazine podcast was brought to you by the Culinary School of Fort Worth. Located on Camp Bowie Boulevard, the Culinary School of Fort Worth is helping future chefs pursue their dreams every single day. You can reach out for more information or to schedule a tour on their website at csftw.edu, or you can reach them by phone at 817-737-8427. That's 817-737-8427. Also, you can check them out on social media to see what's going on daily at the school at Culinary School of Fort Worth on Facebook and Culinary School FTW on Instagram.